Hello everyone, I'm Peter Kenyon. Welcome to another podcast from Unpeeled Press, where I'm exploring the food culture of Northeast Victoria. I was delighted to speak recently with Keith Nightingale of Alpine Orchards at Wandilligong. Keith started growing apples at Doncaster in Melbourne before moving to the Northeast, and he has almost 70 years of apple growing experience. Now he and his children and grandchildren represent the largest commercial apple orcharding business in the region. Keith Nightingale, preeminent apple orchardist. How long have you been growing apples? 68 years. And did you come from a family of apple growers or you've created the family of apple growers? My brother and I started growing apples together in Doncaster, out of Melbourne. And we could see that subdivision was going to happen in those districts. So we looked around for an apple orchard somewhere. And I heard of Wandilligong for the first time ever. And we looked at the orchard and said to the man who owned it, if you want to sell it, let us know. And that happened. And how big was that orchard at the time? Was it a big expansion from Doncaster? Oh, indeed. It was probably something like 100 acres. And in Doncaster, I think we were in on 20 acres. So it was considerably bigger. Yeah. And how big is it? How big is the Wandi orchard now, the Wandiligong orchard now that we're sitting at today? Well, we, we'll now talk in hectares. It's somewhere near 68 hec- hectares. And that's under apples and chestnuts, or is that all apples? Uh, it's all apples. Mm. And then in addition to this orchard, you also got a bigger area at Buckland and you've got that low as well and you've also got some acreage at Stanley. Yes, yes. That makes you the biggest uh, apple orchardist in the region, does it not? In this region, yes, it would. Yes. Hmm. I've never said we're the biggest. The locals like to say that. I do say we're the best. <laughs> but there aren't as many as there used to be, are there? No. And, and have you got a, a reason why that might be or a number of reasons why that might be? I think the main reason is the orchardists of old have retired and got out of it. Where I'm lucky enough to have had three sons that wanted to stay on and grow apples and they've had three sons. So it's an ongoing family system. And it's working. So you see a future for it. Well, we only hope there's a future. I think there is. I believe there would be. It's all today to do with varieties and quality and quantity to a lesser extent. In our case, I think it's driven a fair bit by apple juice and apple cider, which we'd never heard of those years ago. That's quite recent. And there's a demand now for particularly cider. Alcoholic or non-alcoholic or both? Both. Mm. Both. So what varieties of eating apples do you grow now and how how does that compare with when you first planted your orchard here in Wandilligong or bought an orchard? How are the varieties different? The varieties then were uh, Jonathan, Delicious, Granny Smith, Rome Beauty, Statesman, 
Stewart's. <laughs> oh, five crown? They were the old time varieties. Today it is, the new varieties are jazz. The old varieties, are, the Johnny's Grannies and Delicious and, and Golden Delicious are still grown, but the new varieties are more inclined to be Gala, Tansy, Jazz, Envy, Fuji. Pink Lady. Pink Lady's And Granny's still. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Granny Smiths have turned a corner. Originally, they were bad for sunburn because they're green. And, uh, you know, we went through a time where we tried to prevent sunburn and it wasn't very successful. But then we started to use nets on the trees and that certainly solved the sunburn solution. Nowadays, they're green as green when they're taken off the trees. So they're picked, you was, I think you were saying earlier, they're picked far earlier than they used to be. I think, yes, they are. They're picked earlier than I think they should be, but that's governed by the supermarkets who want them early and green. And they say that that's dictated by customer demand. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. I think some of those apples that you mentioned, the Kunzi and the Jazz and the Envy, they're, they're proprietary brands. Is that the correct terminology? Yeah, it is too. So you, you pay a licensing fee or there's an additional cost to growing those. Yes, indeed. It's not like it used to be in terms of being able to just choose a variety and grow whatever you, you wanted and sell it. No, that's right. The advantage of those varieties are that not every grower can grow them or sell them. So the, the quantity of that fruit is uh, controlled by the people who own the club. And right. that's in terms of how many you're allowed to plant. Yeah, mm. yeah, everything. How many you should plant, how many you should grow, and how many you can sell. It's all governed. Is that a good thing? Are there advantages to you in that new type of arrangement? I, I guess there is advantages. It's a funny one. It's a, it's a hard question to answer. I suppose you have to take part because it, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's here now. So If you want to grow those varieties, you know, you've got to get the okay to grow those varieties. Mm. And then you've got to grow them to perfection or they don't want them. Mm. Um, with the old time varieties, you could do what you liked with the apples. You know, you could put them into juice or cider or whatever. But with these new ones, the, the companies that own them really want them, want the apples to control themselves. Fresh eating apples. Yeah, yeah sure. And they do not want weed packers to pack them. So even though you've got huge investment in packing machinery, you're not, you're not permitted to pack those? No, they don't want us to. The Kansi, we can pack. The other varieties, we're not, we haven't got the right to pack as yet. I, I want to go back, just circle back to the orchards again. So you bought Wandiligong initially, and then when did Buckland and Batlow and Stanley come in, and, and why, why did you expand into those areas? Well, I guess the main reason was we realised that different areas would avoid hail. Hail, is a, hail has always been a problem with apple growing. 
if you can have hail for five minutes and the crop of fruit can be destroyed. Um, we've had that happen. So it was a common occurrence, really, to put blocks of apples in other areas. As insurance. As insurance. And usually it worked. I mean, we can get, we have been hailed here, but not on the other orchards. And then, of course, then to combat hail, we got hail netting. And the hail netting, we, we thought it was only good for hail, but it's turned out it's good for uh, the safety of birds, sunburn or bleach. It's good for four things, really. It, the tree uses less water to grow the fruit and uh, it keeps the bats off the trees. Yes. You know. So the, net, the netting is a form of insurance as well. Absolutely. And it's proven worthwhile because it's a very expensive, you know, your, your entire operation here is really impressive for the investment that you've made to keep at the cutting edge of apple production. Well, it's important to, to harvest a reasonable crop of apples every year. Like the old time apple tree was biennial. It cropped very heavily one year and poorly the next year. We try and even it out and try and get a sensible crop every year. How, how do you do that? How do you, well, how do you encourage? Is that pruning? Is it thinning? It's is pruning it... and thinning and spraying. And There's a lot of things you can do to create another crop next year. Like the disaster is to let a tree have too much on it this mm. year because then it will not have a poor crop next year. Mm. So it's all to do with uh, water at the right time, fertiliser continually, fertigation. That means putting the, uh, the fertiliser in with the water and dripping it to the tree. Mm. All that and more keeps the crop cropping even. It's, a, it's an enormous investment at all ends of the apple, growing and harvesting and production, well, the production, the whole process, it's enormous. But... You, you've not been shy of investing in all the equipment that you need in order to stay at the cutting edge. I believe if you don't spend, you don't make. Mm. How, how does that sit with people who are trying to farm small-scale apple orcharding? Is there, is there a future for I that? So. I don't believe so. The small orchardists really can't get their fruit into the supermarkets. The supermarkets are interested in the best fruit they can find, mm. and uh, that can only come from fairly, well, orchardists like us that make sure the fruit that leaves our shed is the best. Mm. Not nearly the best, the best. Is there a, it's such a big area, I, 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 you know, there's so many things to talk about. In terms of, you were talking about retail, is there, are there enough distribution channels to allow you to get rid of everything from really top-line premium fruit to processing, obviously, the second-grade fruit into juice and cider and so on? Are there enough channels for, for you in Australia or is it a very concentrated market as we hear a lot about food retail in Australia? Do you confirm that with your experience? Uh, we've, we've got outlets every year. By the time the new crop is coming in, the old crop has been sold. Mm. 
and very little is destroyed. It can either be juice or cider or sparkling juice or, you know, there's always somewhere to sell the apples. Is the market for the value-adding that you do for the juice and the cider, is that growing? Yes, it is. Is that something that you see continuing to grow? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Is that something that we could process more up here instead of shipping away in the northeast? Well, we don't ship much away. I mean, in terms of having the juices and the ciders being manufactured as soon elsewhere. As, we, as soon as we can, we're going to put in a juicing plant. Ah which will entail, like, we've got the apples. We've got to crush the apples and we've got juice. Mm. Then from juice we go to cider. And from the cider you've got sweet or dry or cloudy or it's endless. Mm. And you'll be able to do that here on site? We hope to. Have you got a timeline for that? I'm quite <laughs> excited at the idea of it. Oh, I've been talking about it for years, boy. But um, I would hope... It'll be a slow process. There's no reason why we can't build a shed and put a juice plant in within the next 12 months. Now, maybe the uh, fermentation and cider and so on, bottling, it's a whole range. Bottling and canning, you know, might take two or three years. It's not going to happen overnight. In the meantime, we're getting it done elsewhere. Yes and establishing a very good market for it. We've done that already. We've got a huge demand on the product, mm. and unfortunately, we haven't got the means to supply. Yes. So we're relying on other companies, and they're sometimes letting us down. It's a good position to be in, though, isn't it? You know, to have that... Uh... It's a worrying position, because once people want your product, and if you can't provide it, they go somewhere else. So I don't like that happening. Hmm. Keith, do you remember the first apple you ever tasted? <laughs> no, no, I do not. What do you know? What would it have been, do you imagine? What, what variety? Well, my father was uh, the engineer in a cool store at Templestone when I was born. And then Doncaster, which was a huge co-op tool storage for all the growers in that district. All the pear, apples and pears and plums and chestnuts. No, not chestnuts. Peaches and cherries and, you know, they're all put into those cool stores before they were sold to the Melbourne market. So I've been mixed up or, you know, I've been around fruit all my life. Mm. Well, what's your favourite apple? My favourite apple to eat today is Envy, closely followed by uh, Fuji and Kansi. It's a toss-up. Fuji, Kansi, Envy, about in competition as far as I'm concerned. Have you ever had any unusual varieties that you've noticed here growing on any of your trees that you've thought have a, a future as a cob variety? Do you keep an eye out for that sort of thing? Because I know there are some growers who do that. In, uh, years ago, when we only had pink ladies, the original pink lady, it wasn't of good colour. And I had a limb on a tree it was particularly good and early, earlier in maturity than the original Pink Lady. And I isolated it and told all my family to keep an eye on that. So we want to get wood off that to graft. And in the meantime, someone cut the tree down. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> that could have been your big break. 
You could have been living in Tahiti well, now. Well, it was only around the corner from the Better Pink Ladies. The Better Pink Ladies in colour was the rosy glow, ruby pink, lady in red. You know, they've come along since then. So I, w- I wouldn't have been... I wouldn't have been very close to the first ever. So the Pink Lady, I think what you're saying is interesting is that even a, a single variety like the Pink Lady is evolving over time. It's not the same. The Pink Lady, the, the piece of fruit that you buy today, is not the same fruit that you bought when it was first developed in the 1970s, I think. No, no it's not. So people are looking for... Well, we don't use those new names. And I think that was my idea. The public know the word, the term pink lady. And they don't want to know, or shouldn't want to know, rosy glow, ruby pink, lady in red. Why? Pink lady is what they know. Yes. And what they buy. And what they look for. Mm. But when you're purchasing trees or or rootstock or or wood to graft, you're buying it as rosy glow or lady in red or, yes. And you know that they'll have a higher colour yeah. in the skin and it's interesting isn't it I mean they're all there's a lot going on behind the scenes in apple growing that people don't realise always was mm. the original delicious a very ordinary looking apple and then came along spur spur type varieties one was Oregon spur that was a red delicious but it was an Oregon spur and oh there was a whole range I can't remember all the words but the best and latest was the Red Chief. Mm. Now, that came out of America, wouldn't it? Mm. Red Chief. <laughs> and it was it was the best-looking apple and the best-shaped apple I've ever seen. It still is. But the public don't want it because I think the new varieties have pushed it aside. The new varieties are promoted, though, whereas nobody is spending money promoting a Jonathan or a Red Delicious. Not at all. Not at all. It's, you know... It's either self-promotion or it falls over. Mm. We had a good apple. Uh, the Jonathan was a great apple for many years. And then uh, a better apple came along called Bonza. Uh, that was found in uh, Batlow on a fence line, just a red apple like a Jonathan, but it kept better, it ate better. The longer you left it on the tree, the better colour you got. We grow some, but... You know, it was a fantastic apple, Bonza. And how long ago was that? Oh, not many years. So that is that a trademarked variety? No, no, it's not. So anyone can grow that? Yeah, mm. anyone can grow. But once again, the supermarkets don't, do not want it. Keith, when did you put in, because it's only been a few years, isn't it, your farm shop? Ah, uh, look, the farm shop has been in this yard here uh, for 30 years. Oh. But it got out of date and we needed to have a better position for it and more access, more accessible for the public and it needed to be refrigerated to keep the apples in good nick 12 months of the year. So we moved it down there. We, and that was only a few years ago? Uh, three, I think. Yeah. Is that doing well? Yes, very well. Mm. Mm. Very well. That's good. And that's open year round, obviously. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. What you're about to, or you're picking already galas, what are the next apples that will come? And then what's the, the cycle of apple picking this year and when will it finish? Uh, Kansi are next. And in between the end of Kansi, Granny Smith will start 
and Granny Smith will go through two or three weeks and then that, that'll intermingle with the early start of Pink Lady and then Pink Lady will go through and that's just about the end for us here. There used to be an apple called Sundowner that went beyond, but we no longer grow that. Can I ask why that is? Is it Pink Ladies hold up well enough that you don't need a later season apple? Is that part of the reason? Yeah, that's, that's the reason. Uh, Sundowner was not welcome on the, in the Zoom markets. And there was another one, Lady William. Hmm. That was one of that family. And Lady William wasn't really ready to pick till July. And that was too late and cold here in Wadi. Mm. I'll have to come back and see the packing. I'd appreciate yeah. seeing that because it's huge. And no, maybe... that's most interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. Thank you very much for making time today. Thank you, Peter. That's it for today. I'm Peter Kenyon, and thank you for listening. Please leave a comment or a suggestion at the Unpeeled Press website or find me on Facebook or Twitter. Special thank you to Charles Sturt University for its support in getting the podcasts underway through their Community University Partnership Grants, and a special shout-out to Dr Serena Killam from Charles Sturt and Dr Nick Rose from Sustain Australia for helping to get these podcasts underway. Theme music by Avocado Junkie. See you next time.